Well, it was back in the dark ages. I was at Bible college. I actually went to a college specifically designed to help prepare people for ministry. Uh, missions work, pastors, youth pastors, whatever. And I'm in a class that's a, a, it's a preaching class. And so uh, we, we all had to work on our own sermon and present it in class in front of our peers. And our, our professor in this particular class said, what I want to do is I want to give a, a chance for some constructive kind of criticism, but it's not the word he used. But anyway, what he's saying was, I, I want to I give some feedback and some encouragement after everybody speaks. And so we have like every, every time we got together, somebody would be preaching in that class and we'd say, take some time to encourage them. And one of the things he said was, I want it to only be positive things. Now, I'm sitting next to a brand new professor who was uh, attending this class, but he was already teaching other classes, and he and I became friends, and I just said, um, I, I want to hear the negative, too. I go, what do you think? And he goes, yeah, we kind of need to. So I raised my hand, and I said, hey, I've got a question. I, I, I preach every weekend in a little church in the country, and the people are so sweet and so nice no matter how bad I bomb, they always come up and say, great message, Pastor. You know, it's like they're so nice. I, I get that all the time. I want to know how I can get better. So I, I need to hear some of the other stuff. And that professor goes, nope, we're only going to hear the encouraging stuff. So I asked my friend, I said, would you tell me on your own? He goes, yeah, I'll tell you. So it's like we, we all need some help getting to the place where we can be the very best possible version of ourselves. Now, how that how that information is given makes all the difference in how that information is received. Does that make sense? I mean, people can say they say the truth, they can say the right thing that we need to hear, but they can do it in the wrong way, and we just don't even pay attention. But, but when you have somebody who loves you, that's what I thought. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a room full of other guys who are working to be pastors. I know we cared about each other. I, I knew it was a safe place for them to be able to you know, speak some things into my life that maybe I needed to hear. I, I craved that. I wanted that. And I think it's important for us to have people in our life that we give that invitation to to say, I need to hear the bad stuff too. It's like I need to know where I can be better. I need to know when I need to be corrected. I, like, I need that in my life. Well, we're talking about that this week in our series, uh, The Love Bank. We're talking about withdrawals and deposits, and a lot of this has to do with communication. A lot of this has to do with the way that we communicate with each other. And I know last week was Mother's Day, but I just found this this week about mothers, and it's about communication, so I'm going to throw it in here. Uh, they said, my mother taught me about weather when she said, looks as if a tornado swept through your room. My mother taught me about hypocrisy when she said, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times, never exaggerate. My mother taught me about the circle of life when she said, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. My mother taught me about envy when she said, and this is my favorite one, you have to pay attention. She taught me about envy when she said, there are millions of less fortunate children who don't have parents like yours. She taught me about envy, meaning I wish I was one of those other kids, right? Yeah, so I know that was not an easy one to get. You had to read it and like just absorb that one for a minute, and I got to do that, and you didn't. Well, here we are, withdrawals and deposits. One of the things that we're going to say this week in particular with our title, you know, critic or critique, a critic really is the kind of a person that makes a withdrawal in the relationship. 
They just point out the flaws. A critique is somebody who can point out some, some of those flaws in a loving way to help us get to be the person we need to be. We, we maybe want to be. We just need some help getting there. And while these things apply to all kinds of relationships, from marriage to friendship, we can't underestimate how the trickle-down effect uh, hits and affects our kids. It's big. It's big. These withdrawals and these deposits make a huge difference in their life. Dr. Kyle Pruitt of the Yale University's Child Studies Center, so you know he's smart and hopefully he knows what he's talking about, but this came out of a book called Faith-Shaped Kids. It's just a little paperback book. I love this book. But he says this, we're potentially raising overly aggressive children who react to situations with intimidation and bullying instead of cooperation and understanding. Children who won't be able to tolerate frustrations, wait their turn, or respect the needs of others. Now, I don't know how long ago he wrote that, honestly, but I think we're there. As a generation, I think we, we struggle with literally having a conversation with somebody in a respectful, kind, loving way, even when we disagree. I don't know about you, but if you watched politics at all in 2020, you saw very few people capable of having a loving conversation with somebody they didn't agree with. And all they do is just get louder. They say the same thing over and over. They just get louder and louder and louder. I don't care what side you're on. We, we need to show people that there's a better way. And typically what we do in order to get people to kind of bend to our will, and whether it's our spouse or whether it's our kids or even whether it's a group of friends, is we do that with power and bullying and manipulation. But interestingly, that's kind of what is going on in, in Ephesians chapter 4. It's just this the manipulation thing could happen. But he says in verse 15, Ephesians 4.15, listen to this, instead... So instead of ridicule, manipulation, you know, getting people all caught up in false teaching, all those things, instead of taking someone down the wrong way, here it is. Instead, speaking the truth in love. That's, that's the part I want you to absorb right there. Speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. I love reading familiar verses and other translations. Here's the same passage in, in verse 15 uh, from the message. It says it this way, God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. Think about some of the conversations Jesus had with people who were very different from him. You know, the people, the other people in the culture, in the religious circles, wouldn't even talk to because they were sinners. But, but the respect... And the love lifted those people into a new way of life. It, he didn't ridicule. He didn't criticize. He, he literally was able to, to help bring them to a better place. I, I think a big part of this, I'm going to give you a handful of practical things to do for this, but I'm just going to give you some background first. I, th I think a big part of this is, is really the word understanding. So our relational homework last week, if you did it, it was just to listen. It was like one word, listen. And the point was to listen to the people in our life so that we can understand them better, so we know what makes them tick, so we know what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what brings them joy, what brings, you know, maybe anger to the surface. We, we want to understand. So we need to quit talking and just listen to them. But the, but the goal of that whole exercise is understanding the people that God's placed in our life. Some of you know, uh, because back in the day, you used to read a thing called the newspaper now we just read news on our phone if we look at news at all, right? 
Well, there's an Ann Landers column. Do you remember that one? Some of you, just show me your hands. Let's, so I'm not alone. Okay, everybody over 50. All right. So we know who Ann Landers is. But she had a, a column people would write in and she would respond to it. One particular one um, was shared in something I was reading. I want to read part of this. This is a grocery store checkout clerk once wrote to advice columnist Ann Landers to complain that she had seen some people buy luxury food items like birthday cakes and bags of shrimp. Bags of shrimp, without the whistle, with their food stamps. The writer went on to say that she thought all those people on welfare who treated themselves to such non-necessities were lazy and wasteful. So Ann Landers prints that. And then people get to respond, and she, she prints the responses. Two of them were this. I didn't buy a cake, but I did buy a big bag of shrimp with food stamps. So what? My husband had been working at a plant for 15 years when it got shut down. The shrimp casserole I made was for our wedding anniversary dinner, and it lasted us three days. Perhaps the grocery clerk who criticized that woman would have a different view of life after walking a mile in her shoes understanding. Another woman writes, I'm the woman who bought the $17 cake and paid for it with food stamps. I thought the checkout woman in the store would burn a hole through me with her eyes. What she didn't know was that the cake was for my little girl. It was her birthday. It'll be her last. She has bone cancer and will probably be gone in the next six to eight months. You know, we really don't know do we? What other people are going through. And that's why we have to listen so we can understand, so we, so we know what's going on. And the moment we just begin coming in finger-pointed, critical, it's going to be withdrawals. And I think sometimes we're quick to do that, even with the people that we love the most, just because we're comfortable around them. And as soon as we see something, we just move in and we just let them have it, right? I came across a test it was, it was a marriage test of people kind of just consider, who are you married to? And it said, here are some of the questions. Does your spouse ever try to straighten you out? Does your spouse ever lecture you instead of respectfully discuss the issues? Does your spouse ever seem to feel that this, his or her opinion is superior to yours, like in every category? When you and your spouse discuss an issue, does he or she attempt uh, to, to talk so much that you don't have time, and then when you do, they interrupt you? Are you afraid to discuss your point of view with your spouse? Does your spouse ever ridicule your point of view? I mean, this, this, this task kind of goes on and on, but you can kind of see what's going on. Somebody in this relationship, in this kind of relationship, is literally coming in and just kind of bulldozing the other people in that family. So what would it look like to Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love, and to speak it quietly on the front row, just a little quieter, please, thanks. So here's, I'm going to give you five quick things. I don't know how quick they're going to be, just to be honest. All right, number one, in conflict, communicate carefully. Here's how we're going to make deposits. And sometimes in, in interesting conversations, like conversations where we may not agree, but how can we get there? How can we help somebody else become a better version of themselves when we spot something that they may need some help with? How do we do that? Well, we, we communicate carefully. That's where it's got to start. I think... Um, 
there's a couple of examples of communicating clearly. Uh, as, as a pastor, I, I found these interesting just to me. They, I don't know if they are to you. But one Sunday morning, a pastor is uh, standing back by the, uh, by the doors, you know, as, as he leaves, and, and everybody goes through and shakes his hand and the whole thing, right? And, and people begin to comment on it, and he got an interesting comment, but let me set it up. So he gets up there, and he says, some of you may be wondering about the Band-Aid on my face. I was thinking about my sermon and accidentally cut my face when I was shaving. And when he walked out, one of the people said, next time, I got an idea, next time, why don't you think about your face and cut your sermon? So I don't know how careful that was, but, you know, that kind of stuff I, I, I kind of like resonate with, right? Another one, uh, a guy was like me, like in college, he would go out to this little church in the country and he'd preach to this little church every weekend. And he came back and, and at school he had professors that he really cared about and really like he really wanted their input. And so he kept asking one of them to come and to, to see his little church and to hear him preach. And, and so this one professor finally showed up in his senior year, shows up, and this guy preaches his heart out and he walks out and everybody else has kind of left and he's talking to the professor and the professor says, well, that was warm. And he's like, really? And he goes, oh, oh, I don't think you get it. He goes, you know what warm means, right? Not so hot. Not so hot, right? <laughs> so maybe those aren't the best examples of what we're talking about here. If we're really going to help somebody, I think we just need to figure out how to say it in love. I don't know how many of you are fans of American Idol. I don't know how many years it's been out now. It's been a long time. But in the early years, we, we would watch the whole season, you know, just, just kind of see what happened and kind of narrow it down. You know, each week we'd get rid of a few more people. And the, the talent and the ability is amazing. But I didn't really care about the whole season. I just liked the first couple of weeks. You know why? Because that's when you had somebody who kind of walk into the room and they didn't look the part at all. And then they would just explode with this voice from heaven. You're like, whoa, you're like blown away. The next person would come in and you're like, who? Who, like, thought it was a good idea for them to come in here and sing? Like, who's, who's making this judgment out in the parking lot, right? And then that's where Simon would go off. And that's why it was kind of so fun to watch, you know. And he'd say something, and they'd start crying. Well, my, my mom says that I'm a great singer. And Simon would just say something like, well, your mom's tone deaf. You know, next. And so, like, he was being the critic, right? He was being the critic, but... At the same time, the, the deeper they got into it, you could see like when he would begin to critique. You know the difference? Like the critic just says, well, your mom's tone deaf too. And you're, you, you stink. But the, the critique would be like, you know what? You've got potential. I see what you can do. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some help and some coaching. Like, you could see that along the way too. There's two different ways to approach this. And those two ways really are the choice of a withdrawal or a deposit in our love bank in this relationship. In Ephesians 4, 29, we read it last week. I'm going to bring it up again because I think it gives us both. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Again, same verse out of the message says, watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps each word a gift. And so if we could take that idea of communicating clearly even further, I would say it this way for number two, use words that heal. So we're not just being careful, but we're actually choosing the words that we use. These are, these are words that heal. So the idea, again, critique or, or critic maybe is best summed up with this picture that I heard a long time ago. 
both people use a knife, a mugger and a surgeon. Both are going to cut, but both have very different purposes. One cuts to hurt, the other cuts to heal. And sometimes, no matter how carefully we say it, it might sting a little bit. But if they know it comes from someone who loves, know it comes from somebody who has their best interest at heart, they, they can sit through that conversation and, and maybe, maybe add and, and, and give some, some more thought and then listen some more. It's like when you know somebody cares, you know what they're, 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 they're for you, you're more prone to hear them out. Proverbs 13, 17 says this, an unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. Those are the words we want to use. Uh, another way that I've seen this over the years, especially through the church lens, is uh, through notes. You know, every now and then we get a note. It just it says, hey, I've got a suggestion, this or this or this. By the way, like years ago, I told our staff, you ever get an anonymous note that comes to the office, I don't want to see it, and whoever it's addressed for should never see it. Just throw it away. So for years, we have never looked at anonymous notes because that's just a critic. If they can't put their name to it, they're not willing to actually sit down and discuss this. They actually have a good point, but we don't understand the context. We don't know who's talking. We don't know what they mean by everything. So it could be just one line, that was stupid. It's like, Okay, I don't know how to, what, what I did early on was I would take those and I would try to figure them out and it would just eat me up. And I finally just said, don't let anybody see those. That's just a critic. If somebody signs their name, you better get back to them because they might have something we need to hear. Oh, we can learn from people. And we may or may not at the end of the day agree, but it's okay. It's like they put their name on it. That's a note. That, that's a critique. That's something somebody's saying, I'm willing to discuss this. There, there's helpful things right there. I mean, if you're looking for change, if you're looking uh, to maybe have somebody in your, in your family or, or a friend take a, a new step in the right direction and you, you just notice where they're getting hung up and you want to help them, it's like there's so many things we can do, but we've got to use words that bring healing. You've got to carefully choose those words. John Ashcroft, who was the former attorney general, has an interesting thing to say about his dad. Listen to this carefully. He says, my dad had the foresight and wisdom not to say... I just want my kids to be happy. Listen to his explanation. He realized that the pursuit of happiness for its own sake is a frustrating, disillusioning, and often futile effort. Happiness usually hides from those who are spiritually addicted to its sugar while it chases after those who make wise choices and who are caught up in something more lasting than the momentary excitement. Now, I know that was really deep. You can spend some time like I did just reading that through a few times. But it's saying if, if, our, if our goal is happiness, we're just never going to get there. If our goal is following God, making wise choices, we're, we're going to be happy. It's like it's, we're going to find that as the byproduct of following the one who knows us best and who loves us. Proverbs 10, 11 says this, the words of the godly are life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. Eugene Maddox tells this story. I'm not going to read the story. I'm just going to tell you. And I may miss some details, but I, I got the idea of the story. In 1970, he was 15 years old. In 1970, he's 15 years old, and he says about his mom, she rarely cooked anything. 
I mean, she only knew how to do beef stew. That's like the only thing she cooked. And it was like once every two to three years. He says, usually we just ate in cafeterias. We, and he says, then we get an invitation to someone's home. And he goes, I was so excited because we get like a home-cooked meal. He goes, this one night we, we get this, this invitation to go to his mom's friend, also employer's house. And so they go to that house and he is excited. And there's some other people there too. And there's one lady, her name is Addie and she's African-American lady. And there's, there's another lady that works with them. There's like three or four people. And he's just like halfway through the meal. He's just loving this food. Some of this food he's never had before. And he's loving this. And, but he notices that, that Addie's gone. And he didn't think of it at the time because he thought maybe she didn't feel well or whatever, so she had to leave. So his mom noticed as well. And on the way out, they're talking about it. And she said, well, I found out what happened to Miss Addie. Uh, apparently, the, the host had grown up with the tradition that white people and black people never eat together. And so while we were all in the dining room, she was out on the patio by herself having her meal. And they both just like broken because this lady was so nice. They got to meet her and then she went her own way out to the patio where she could have her own meal. He says, three days later, because I came home and I was a little shocked. He says, my mom was cooking and it wasn't beef stew. It was actually a roast. And like it had been a couple of years since she'd cooked anything. He, I didn't even know she could cook a roast. And she says, tonight we're going to eat like kings and queens. And the table was all set up and there was another plate. And he goes, well, who's coming? Who do you think was coming? Miss Addie was coming. He said, my mom was 100 feet tall that night. He said, she died three years later. But that's the moment that marked me. See, it's, it's one thing to have a lecture on racial Reconciliation. It's another to have a meal and divide Miss Addie over. And so I say, while we want to choose words that are healing, the words that are healing, if they're not backed by the example, they just fall on the ground. They don't hit. But when the right example is in place, you don't even need that many words. You, you get what, what's going on. Your, your example speaks louder you know, then all those words. Uh, I've given a lot of thought to this, especially when it relates to the church. And I know it's easy to be critical of the church in America today. I, it's easy to write a book. It's easy to start a podcast and just rip on the church. I know it is. You can find stuff wrong. But what we need are people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and get to work. See, it's true in, in a family. It's, 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 it's so easy in the family to point out everything that's wrong with everybody else because you're so close to each other. That, that's the easy. Nobody needs somebody just pointing out what's wrong. That's the critic. Who needs that? But we might need the critique. We might need that loving, helpful example and those healing words that go along with it to help us get where we need to be. And number three, I want to give our opinion a test run. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to explain this, but I, I want to communicate clearly and I want to use healing words, but I want to use and then make sure that my opinion just has kind of a test run. I, I openly admit that there has been things in my life I had a strong opinion on at one point, but through, through life and, and age and experience, 
I was going to say maturity, but some of you know me. So that's not happening. So, but through life and age and experience, like I've changed some of my opinions on some things. And I think it's okay just to give our opinion a test run. So sometimes like we're having this, this conversation with somebody or it's a difference of opinion. Just, I think we need to have some grace there because the reality might, we might need the grace in a few years from now, right? Proverbs 12, 19 says this, truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are sin exposed. It's not that we intended to be a lie. It's just like sometimes, sometimes we're not right. We, we get more information. We get the facts and then we find out, oh, there's more information here. That might have changed the way that I would have approached this. But truthful words stand the test of time. There's a little book called uh, Sabbath Time. And uh, Tilden Edwards tells about a, a family in his book that was taking uh, Sabbath time uh, in a unique way. They, they literally made a commitment. The kids in their family made a commitment that on Sundays, the day that they were going to, you know, kind of observe the Sabbath, on Sundays they would never criticize each other. Now, typical family, probably Monday through Saturday, criticize away. But on Sundays, they said, we just won't do it. We're not going to criticize each other. So this, this, this kind of experiment thing turned in uh, a few weeks. It turned into a few months. And he says, the dad noticed that on Sundays, a lot of their friends and a lot of the neighbor kids were at their house. On Sundays, larger and larger, the crowd got. It's not that people went around like proclaiming, on Sunday, the Sabbath, we are not going to criticize each other. These other kids just knew that's the place you want to be. I don't know how interesting. They, they gave this commitment like a test run, and they begin to see the results. They, they realized what was going on. Number four, when all else fails, drop it. Drop it. Okay, so let's say we're having this conversation. Let's say it's with our spouse or it's with a good friend or it's with one of our kids. Like somehow we're, we're in the midst of it, and it's like we're not seeing the change, and they're not seeing the change in us. We just, it's not happening. Proverbs 17, 28, I think, is like a verse that God gave to me. If you guys want to listen in, you can. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. You know, sometimes we just need to stop talking and drop it, like let it go. I, I wish I would have understood this verse earlier in my life. Like this one guy I heard of, he's celebrating 55 years of marriage, but he was in the hospital. And he's just really out of it, but he looks over and he goes, Ethel, is that you? And, and she says, yes, honey, I'm here. And he goes, man, he goes, you're, you're with me after that car accident we were in and when we lost everything in that fire, you, you were by my side. And when I went through cancer, you, you were there. And you're here again. And he reaches out, and they hold hands, and he says, Honey, you're bad luck. <laughs> now, that might have been better not to say. You know what I'm talking about? Like, just drop it. Proverbs 17, 14, listen to this. Beginning a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Now, you're going to have to use some wisdom here. There are certain things that we just sweep under the rug that will come back to bite our relationships later if we don't deal with them. But there are other things that are just, they're just honestly not that big of a deal. And while it may irritate us in a marriage or in a family, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to let it go. So we let it go. So we're able to drop it. Maybe we had the conversation. This is what I would love for you to do because this irritates me. And then they tried and like that. It's just not going to happen. Love them anyway. Drop it. It's not that big of a deal. Like, we, we have to learn. Like, that's the wisdom thing. Learn when to kind of 
hold them and when to fold them and when to walk. I don't know. Maybe somebody should write a song. Number five, give someone else a shot. And here's what we mean by that. <laughs> Listen. We're right back to this idea of listening. Let me give you a couple of verses. Proverbs 18, 13 says, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Let me put it this way. Spouting off, withdrawal. Listening, deposit. I mean, you want your love bank to kind of increase in value. We're going to listen more and we're just going to blabber less. It's just that simple. James 1.19 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I mean, and this is all about letting my spouse or my child or my friend, like, explain their point of view. And then here's where we're going to take it to a new level this week. So last week, the relational homework was to listen. The purpose was we want to listen to people who are close to us so we can find out what makes them tick, what, what brings them joy, what maybe makes them sad. We need to listen so that we can understand where they're coming from. This week, I want to take listening to a new level. If you're willing to do it. The relational, relational homework this week is to sit down with somebody that you love and you care about, who know, you know has your best interest in heart, and ask them this question, and then listen. Here's the question. What do you see in my life that if I changed, I could be more like Christ? It's gonna, you're going to have to put your big boy pants and your big girl pants on for that kind of a conversation. But go to somebody you know loves you and ask them that question. What do you see in my life? that I need to change if I want to be more like Jesus. And then listen. They might just give you the, the nuggets that you need to make the next breakthrough. The band taught us a new song this weekend. You know, this Jaira, Jehovah Jaira, provider. God will, will see to it. He, he knows what we need and he's provided. And I love tracking that idea all the way through the Bible. In fact, like, like Justin had commented about during our worship time, like there's this, there's this scene where, where Isaac is about to be sacrificed and God stops him and says, no, I, I, I know this was the test, but I've provided for you a ram over here. But on that same hill, later Jesus would be sacrificed for us. God provided what we needed. And God continues to provide, but, but it's always been his plan. Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundations of the world were formed. I love this. It was God's plan to adopt us into his family. And the price was going to be the precious blood of his son, but he was willing to pay that before he ever made us. And he made us, knowing that some would love him and some wouldn't. And he made us anyway and gave his life for us. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray with you, but I just want you to know this. That relationship with God, the one he longs to have with us, is the relationship that will alter, affect, change, and encourage every other relationship that you have. It starts with him. And I want you to have that relationship. Okay, let's pray together. God, we thank you that uh, as we come together, as we open your word, you speak to us. And God, your, your word does at times correct us. But we know your motivation. We know your heart. It is out of love. You want what's best for us, and you want this relationship with us. Father, I do want to ask that you would uh, 
that you would help every single person here. We're all in different relationships. We're all in different situations. But you know every situation specifically, like personally, intimately. You, you know the details. You know where we're flawed and where we've blown it. You know where they have. It's not a matter of keeping score of that stuff. It's a matter of God. You could bring reconciliation and peace and healing because that's what you've done. You, you called us to be ministers of reconciliation, to, to bring people together. So God, give us what only you can do in those relationships. Help us to listen maybe better than we ever have. Give us those, those healing, loving words so that we can work through things with those that we love the most. But God, we just want to say thank you for providing, for providing for us the opportunity for a relationship with you, a holy, perfect, spotless God. And knowing our sin and knowing what we've been through, you still provided what we need on that cross to cover our sin. So thank you, God, for the offer of the invitation to have a relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. I asked the band to come back and just sing us part of this song that we just learned. or It's still new. It's still fresh. But I want you to work at getting these words. I want you to hear the truth of this. That God is providing exactly what we need. He knows us. I mean, he is enough. He's everything we need. And he can provide everything we need. If you need prayer after this, just come to your, make your way to the front. But right now, let's stand together. If you're online, you're joining us, and you have questions, you want to talk to somebody, just email us at office at community.cc. We'd love to talk to you. Okay, let's stand together. Let's sing this song.
your eyes. And if you need prayer, prayer team will be right here up front. Otherwise, I'll see you guys right here next week. Be blessed.